inch by inch, row by row, gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. It is time right now for In the Garden with Peter Burke. Our program today is sponsored by Menard's family-owned True Value Store on Brooklyn Street in Morrisville, by V's Flower and Garden Shop, Main Street, Waitsfield, by Clawson's Florist Greenhouse and Perennial Farm, Main Street, Colchester, by your locally-owned Montpelier Agway Farm and Garden, East Montpelier Road, by Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber, in Middlesex, St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton, and Derby, sticksandstuff.com, and by Kate Farm on Colburn Road, Route 14, and Guy's Farm and Yard in Morrisville, Montpelier, Williston, and St. Albans, by PR Lumber, a family owned lumber mill with all the lumber, mulch, and compost you need, Route 15 in Woolkit. By the Willie Store in Greensboro, celebrating 120 years of family ownership. By Dandelion Acres Garden Center, Vermont Route 107 in Bethel, Vermont. By Poly Construction, a contractor you can trust. One call does it all. They're on Gregory Drive in South Burlington. Phones are always open, 244-1777. And here's the host of In the Garden, Peter Burke. Hey, Joel. Good morning. Good morning. How are you today? Uh, hanging in there. there doing okay. Yep. That's the way to go. Yep. Uh, so um, lots to do in the garden. Uh, if you, um, uh, whether you're here in central Vermont or over there in the banana belt like Joel, there's still lots and lots to do in the garden right now. And uh, uh, I have a list of things that you can plant today. Seeds you can plant today, um, things like uh, spinach and all your radishes, your lettuces, uh, the mescaline mixes, and boy, there's a lot of really nice mescaline mixes out there now. You know, there's hot varieties and lettuce varieties, and that's a, a great way to get things started in the early spring. All of your mustards are are um, uh, good in a salad, and they're even good cooked, so those are a great thing to start, and they're they usually are up in two or three days. Uh, carrots, arugula, snap peas, garden peas, all those are, uh, you know, this is perfect weather for them. The miner's lettuce, or as, as uh, uh, Ed Smith called it, Claytonia. And uh, the corn salad, it's called matche. And then the kale for baby, you know, or kale for even for uh, the full-size crop. Uh, your onions, whether they're uh, bunching onions or um, uh, you want to plant the, either the plants, the starts, or the the little onions, um, either one of those, those can be planted today. Turnips, rutabagas, um, all of those things. So there's lots and lots of things, and this is a great way to start the garden. Uh, a lot of these things will be gone by. Um, we'll have grown up and be gone by the middle of June and you can plant a second crop. So, 
um, sets that you can plant today. Of course, all your coal crops, uh, and uh, I plant the collards and kale and broccoli and cabbages and cauliflowers and. And uh, this year I'm going to try uh, kohlrabi. I have had kohlrabi before, and and uh, it's it's a delicious veggie. Certainly good in a uh, in a stir fry. Uh, some people like it in their salad because it has a, the sweet flavor, like uh, parts of the sweet of a cabbage, you know. And um, so we're going to grow a little bit of that. That's my. Uh that, that's that's my most nostalgic vegetable because no kidding yeah because my grandparents used to grow it mm. and when I was just a little kid I was re- remember Sputnik was launched in 1958 so I was 13 years old <laughs> there is they, a resemblance and they yes. look like little Sputniks in the garden <laughs> and uh, at any rate uh, the second part of that story the story greatly reduced when I was living out my nostalgia and starting to grow tons of kohlrabi in the garden only to yeah. find out my two daughters would not eat it. Wouldn't touch it. Yeah. 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 Even if you shook, if you <laughs> dipped it in chocolate and put yeah. whipped cream on it, they wouldn't touch the kohlrabi. So I, well, ate, I, ate my, I ate about 40 pounds of kohlrabi one year just to prove that I'm not going to let it go to waste. <laughs> well, see, that that's what I was saying. You 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 peel it and slice it up, put it in a stir fry, and then nobody knows right. what they're eating. You know, that's, that's always the best plan. <laughs> now, did you use it in a salad too, raw? No. No, I, you always I, I did exactly what my uh, grandparents did. Essentially, steamed the heck out of it. Yeah, um, but yeah. It, it, it's so rich in flavor. There's yeah. no way you can, yeah. you know, yeah, ruin you, it that way. Yep. Yeah. Well, uh, so I'm going to do some of those. And what the, the neat thing is is that a kohlrabi has a. Um, uh, it's a 55-day crop, so it's actually fairly quick. Uh, if you planted those today, you'd be all done with them by the end of June. And and versa visa, if you planted them in June, you'd have a crop before the end of um, uh, before the end of the the season, growing season. So those those kinds of crops are really interesting me because. Um, to make a small garden really productive, you have to plant and replant. And uh, getting uh, two or three or even four crops out of the same bed is um, is really delightful. Really, you know, I mean, it's just because it, you're you're getting uh, you know you're just you're using all that soil and getting the most out of it, and and your work is rewarding. So that, you know, by August, instead of seeing weeds grow up everywhere, you're seeing your second crop of, of this or that, or, you know, it's a, it's kind of a fun way to garden anyway. One I highly recommend. And, but it does take a little bit of planning. Now, last week we, um, we kind of, we were talking about potatoes. And we got to the point where we were green sprouting our potatoes. We were laying them out on the on a floor in a nice warm place, and we were letting those little little sprouts or spuds or eyes, you know, start to green up. And uh, you know, if you did it last uh, last week or the week before, they would actually start to be green now. Um, and so the the sprouts there help you get a, a head start. Just sort of like planting sets instead of planting seeds. And let's see. Um, so once uh, once those things are green sprouted, you'd, of course you have to be careful of the eyes when you're when you're carrying them from the from your uh, the floor of your house to out to the garden. You want to be careful that they're handled, you know, and you're not knocking those sprouts sprouts off. 
and by the time they're greening up, there's, they are pretty hardy and, and all that. But so their, uh, Mother Earth Nudes did a, a, a really interesting, um, uh, experiment with all the different various methods uh, uh, to plant potatoes because right now you can hear all, you get so many different uh, methods that it's hard to know which one to use or which one's the most productive. Uh, and their experiment basically concluded that the old uh, time-tested uh, old method of planting them four or six inches deep and then hilling the plant uh, as it grows until the hill's about 12 inches. And that was the most productive and um, uh, the least work in the long run, even though even though just uh, some people like to just put hay on them. Some people will build a, a potato box. Um, and, you know, with all the different methods that are out there, the, the good old time-tested, was it was the most productive. So that works well for me. And I, I plant them in a, in a bed, my four by four bed. And for the large varieties like your, um, Kennebecs and your russets and those kinds, um, I plant one per square foot. The smaller varieties like, um, uh, like your, um, oh, your rose gold, that's a, that's a variety that's a, a, meant to be a small potato, like new potatoes. And those you can plant a little closer than 12 inches. Um, you can plant them about eight inches apart, which puts about five, um, five per row. They give you about 20. You can put about 20 of them instead of 16. So what I do is I'll take and I dig down, you know, with a shovel or my hand, uh, about six inches and I put that little spud right at the bottom so that, uh, you know, the, a couple of the spuds are, are facing up and, uh, and, and then cover it with maybe a couple inches of soil, pat it down. And then I go to the next, uh, square foot, you know, and I'll go ahead and, and dig down and put that next one in. Oh, we get a call. Okay. So I have, have to pick up with, uh, planting. Uh, Forbes in East Corinth. Hey, old buddy. How's... Hi, how are you today? <laughs> are your asparagus up yet? <laughs> yeah, no. Gosh, no, I just shoveled the snow out of the way. <laughs> wow, what a, what a spring. Yeah. Let's see, uh, as I remember, uh, summer came on a Thursday last year. <laughs> <laughs> and Friday was winter again. Huh? <laughs> right. Um, if you fellows get an opportunity sometime, would you do a session on mushrooms? Oh, sure. Yeah, I'd absolutely love to. That's a big topic right now, and there are a lot of uh, very beneficial mushrooms, but I don't know, and I'm sure a lot of other people don't know the difference. Or planting. So are you talking about uh, wild mushrooming, or are you talking about growing your own domestic mushrooms? Well, growing your own, which are wild, of course, but you can get the... uh, the uh, mm-hmm. you know the the mushroom parts and sawdust and various other things and you mm-hmm. can build your own. Uh, ha- have you structure. tried? Have you tried it, Forbes? No, I've just ordered uh, a batch. So uh-huh. I build a four, four by four frame with uh, peat moss and wood chip and old ashes and things like that. Now I'm going to try it. And this is for the morels or the which ones are you? Yes, which, right. Okay. Yeah. And the other other ones, I, I did some logging, and I've got some uh, maple stumps. Oh, yeah. 
what I wanted to do is bore them and put in uh, maybe uh, the shiitake uh, uh-huh. yeah. uh, inserts into the stumps. <laughs> they say they grow pretty good there. Or into an old well, that's, that's interesting. Um, uh, one of my neighbors, and we actually had uh, Sarah and... Uh, uh, on you know the Gallagher's Stephen Sarah Gallagher on uh, last year and and they grow uh, shiitake mushrooms commercially up uh, oh, just down the road from us in, in Calais and uh, uh yeah. they, they <laughs> it was very informative i think um my wife actually bought some logs from them there was like 10 dollars uh, they cut their logs uh you know between say 4 and 6 inches um, so whether it's a limb or a, the tree or whatever, when they're thinning and cutting stuff for their um, for their fire, uh, and that's all that's all new wood. And generally speaking, you're supposed to um, uh, inoculate new wood, not not uh, not anything that's just fallen down. So they cut that right. they cut it green. Yep. And then uh, they'll bore uh, holes uh, in a in a row, you know, about oh six inches or so apart, and all the way around that uh, all the way around that log. And then they inoculate it, like you you're saying, with the, the the sawdust that's inoculated. And then they wax right over the top of that. And uh, the the reason you wax it is is you're trying to keep any other kind of a spore or fungus growing in that. You want it to be just wholly and solely shiitakes. And wow. that's, uh, they will do, we did, uh, oh, my wife bought, she ended up buying 10 logs and then another 15 logs. And um, it, it's a very reliable crop. You get about two or three blooms every every year out of a out of a log. But the, uh, the thing you have to prepare yourself for with the shiitake logs is you need to, you need to shock them. And the, the most typical way to shock them is just soak them in cold water. And uh, we had a, we have a galvanized tub that we would fill up and then let them set overnight in that and then bring them out and put them in a shady spot. And uh, within a week or so, they would start to blossom and sometimes they would blossom a huge amount and other times, you know, you'd get maybe a dozen off of them. But um, it's still f- very reliable. And the, the neat thing about the growing those shiitake mushrooms is um, they're just as good dried as they are fresh. You know, you can you can take whatever extra you don't eat and dry it and and uh, um, keep them in a jar, or if you want to, put them in the freezer. One way or the other, uh, the shiitakes are are a great place to start with uh, uh, with mushrooming if you're going to grow them yourself. Um, I'd really like to hear how that goes from you. So when you, um, you know, when you, uh, uh, when you find out whether you've had any luck or not, give me a call. I'd like to know one way or the other. Now, my publisher, yeah, Chelsea Green, uh, they have, um, they have a, an author who has written a book on mushrooming, and I'll see if I can't get him on, because his his whole focus is on uh, not commercial growing, oh, but but uh, that home would growing. be great. Yeah. Yeah, I, that should be no problem at all. Yeah. Right, uh, and also the pH and the, the ground medium, mm-hmm. and whether you could freeze them and the processing after. Yep. Uh, all of that's important information, and it's kind of uncharted water right now. Yeah, sure, sure. It's um, okay. and, and okay. Uh, uh, Sarah and 
and Steve Gallagher do sell those logs, so you, you can just check uh, just check with them and see if you want to buy a couple. They use software. Software. Oh no, no, no! Uh, it's it's uh, ma- usually maple for the most part, um, either oh. either rock maple or or soft maple. You know, either one of those. Uh, the, you know, the sugar maples. Right. Um, there, of course, with the beach, you know, you can take the beach. That's a f- uh, and also a fairly high tannin content. Um, you know, or those are the ones they use the most of, I think. Um, well, that's good. That'll, yeah. that'll be fun to hear, and I'll, I'll try to keep you apprised of what I'm doing here. You bet. Yeah, we want to know when to sneak the- over to the garden there. <laughs> right. <yeah. laughs> the, uh, they seem to like um, apple trees, so I see them oh, wild yeah? in my orchard. Ah. Orchard quite a bit ah. on the north side. Oh goodness! So it kind of looks like they like that shade or that environment. <laughs> of course, that's six point four, six point five. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I'll, okay. I'll. I'll, I'll well, I'll uh, you know, when you talk about I'm mushrooms, you sort of think of the, you know, little fairies, you know, doing the fairy dance at night, yeah. you know, and yeah. <laughs> in a circle around yeah. the tree. <laughs> Umbrellaed by the mushrooms. Of yeah. course, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All okay, right, well, Mush- mushrooms it is, and I will put that uh, I will put that in the queue here to f- and get somebody on that we can talk to about mushrooms. Okay. And, yeah, they're a big money item too. Holy smokes! I, yeah. Looking at the price per pound, <laughs> horrendous. Uh, yeah. This this right. is this okay. is true, but uh, once you like anything, once you've grown them, you'll see why that why that price is so high. Yeah, it <laughs> it's sort of like trying to you know trying to go anything like that, like ginseng. That was the thing I tried. Oh my gosh, yeah, that that's a tough right. that's a tough nut right there. <laughs> you can buy blank pizza uh, units, and then you can augment your pizza with various things and there you to go. make it a real pizza. There you go. Okay, good. <laughs> All right, Thank thanks you. for the. Call Forbes. <laughs> right on. Okay. Okay. Uh, good time for a break. Uh, these wonderful people have sponsored this show. Uh, listen well and make sure when you go in, you thank them for sponsoring so that they know that it, that, uh, it means a lot to you. Dandelion Acres is a beautiful garden center in central Vermont where you can find gorgeous flowering hanging baskets, annuals, perennials, trees, and shrubs. They also have an extensive selection of vegetables, fruit trees, and berry bushes and can also offer helpful advice to make your growing season a success. There's pottery, garden furniture, statuary, and decor from the whimsical to the sublime. Dandelion Acres Garden Center is in Bethel, Vermont. Go to dandelionacres.com for current operating hours and COVID caveats. A reminder that, uh, boy, I tell you, today and this weekend would be an absolutely great time to uh, stop on out at the Kate Farmer. Kate Farm. It's Kate Farm's plant sale going on now. You can order seedlings online for curbside pickup and stop by for in-person sales at the Kate Farm today. That's right. Go to katefarm.com for information and all the latest updates. You can browse the wide selection of healthy organic veggie starts, culinary and medicinal herbs, annual and perennial flowers to get your garden growing. Kate Farm, of course, has been growing for Central Vermont 
for 40 years. They're located in East Montpelier. You go between Route 2 and Route 14, and there's Coburn Road. Watch for the signs. The signs are there, and they will get you there. For more information, of course, go to the website, katefarm.com. Always organic, always their own. It's uh, their 19th annual seedling sale, so they have this down pat. Healthy plants at fair prices, no GMOs, and the Kate Farm itself, you talk about people that know the history of the area. Kate Farm has been farmed since 1793. So, Kate Farm, it's the gardener sale, it's the seedling sale, and great things for mom, of course, with Mother's Day tomorrow. I'd like to remind you also that uh, our program is available as a podcast at the WDEV uh, website. That's right, uh, WDEVradio.com. Listen to In the Garden anytime. Go to WDEVradio.com to access the In the Garden podcast, and that's sponsored by Dandelion Acres in Bethel, where, of course, you can find an extensive selection of vegetables, fruit trees, and berry bushes. Check their website dandelionacres.com for current operating hours and COVID caveats. And of course, they are the sponsor of the In the Garden podcast, which you can access and listen to anytime at wdevradio.com. Well, back we go to Peter Burke in the garden. And uh, I did actually go pick up uh, sets from Kate's uh, farm uh, yesterday after afternoon. And I picked up all my brassica that I was telling you about. And so I'll be out tomorrow planting those in the garden. Um, you know, uh, you know, I lost a lot of my plants in the house fire. So, um, I had to buy them and they are beautiful. And, uh, I might add that, uh, they're, they brought them to me with a smile. They're very nice people up there and, and uh i've uh, bought from them for for years and years uh, certainly not since the 1700s but <laughs> and uh they have very high quality organic uh so anyway um yeah i did that just uh, yesterday and it's a you know the the pickup uh thing has worked out real well you just drive up they put them in your car and you keep going and uh I would say that I actually listened to the podcast from last week uh with my grandson so he could hear himself singing inch by inch, row by row. <laughs> and it's it's right there on the podcast too. Um okay, so where were we was uh we were just about to plant our spuds that were greened up. And um well let's see, do you have a call there? Yeah, I'll just say it. Brian in Woodbury is oh, on Brian the line. Oh, Brian Woodbury. Yeah. How you doing, Brian? Hello. Hello. Yeah. Yeah. Go ahead. Yeah. So just real quick, I'm uh, I'm out actually going for a little fishing, but I live um, not far from a few around Callis, but yeah. up uh, up from the lake. And you were talking mushrooms. I got to tell you. I got about 10 acres. I built my own little place, but I've always found some really choice morels, and I have not found any. Oh, really? The, I don't know. You know, I know there are. Is there any reason why I'm not finding? Yeah, I, like, I, I don't. I right don't right off, the, the main reason is it's been a very dry spring. 
And, yeah. and, and I've noticed over the years, uh, not mushrooming to eat mushrooms, but just to, to note the different varieties. Uh, you, yeah. we've got a, you know, up behind us, uh, on our land there, we have a, a path that we've cleared out and we walk it, uh, regularly. Right. And, and, uh, you'll notice that, uh, if we get a, uh, three or four days of good rain. And so far we've, we've had maybe one day of decent rain. Yeah. But we have not really had the moisture in the soil the way you need. And, uh, uh, that, that I would say is the number one reason you're yeah. not seeing your, I your mushrooms. That yeah. I've only really had like once or one and a half yeah. times of rain. Not yeah. Even. Yeah. And uh, I'll give you a for instance is in my garden, yeah. I always plant my spinach in the fall and it usually come up gangbusters. But this year I only had uh, two beds that that came up good. And and uh, I would attribute that to pretty much uh, uh, the um, Are you saying your spinach. Yeah, I, I plant my spinach in in the fall. And then it, oh, right. uh, it comes up in the spring first thing. And that's always the tip off when it's okay to, to plant more yeah. spinach and, and other, other, the early yeah, springs. Yeah. But, um, that's, it's just, we, it's been, we're on the edge of drought kind of, yep. which is weird. Yep. So I but, think the yeah. next good rain, you should see a blossom. You should see a really, they're uh, so good. Yeah. They're so, I put them with <laughs> the butter and garlic. Oh, man. <laughs> <laughs> but uh yeah thanks uh I your show's great thanks for doing well, it. Well thanks Brian I appreciate that. <laughs> and um right. I appreciate your call in and let us know. And we'll be uh we'll That's be up fair. after the next good rain. <laughs> yeah. I'll bring the garlic. All right, thank okay, thank you. <laughs> Take care Brian. All righty. And uh let's see where were we? We were just starting to plant our potatoes, right? And um I plant, of course, in, in beds, four by four beds. And, uh, so it's similar. If you're planting in rows, uh, the, the same, uh, idea is, is to heal your potatoes and stuff and to plant them. But a lot of times when you're planting in a row, you're just planting them a couple inches deep. And then you heal, uh, from the pathways into the potato row. It's a little bit different in a bed. Um, I like to, to, like, as I said, I like to go down about six inches, cover with a couple of inches of, of, uh, soil and then just leave that hole. And, uh, and then as they grow up, uh, my first hilling really is just a matter of filling in that hole. So by the time they're up to the, the, you know, ground level, uh, I've already healed them a good six inches. And so then, you know, my second uh, healing uh, is really, um, I will take, a, um, I'll take some uh, of the germination mix, the peat moss and, and vermiculite and compost, and I'll just uh, pack that in right around the plants uh, another six inches or at least. And a lot of times if I have the time, I'll go ahead and put straw on that. Uh, one thing that that sort of reminds me that they're they're all I've done the second healing on them and they're all ready to go and they'll by the time they flower and die back then they're they're all ready they're all ready to dig up uh, and that does it for the bed and that's the way I do them so once um, 
you know, once they start to sprout up and they're oh, maybe a foot or so tall, maybe even 18 inches, you'll start to flower. When they start to flower, um, that's really when they're start, when they're, the spuds are starting to, to fill out. It's, if you've ever dug up your potatoes, you'll see that there's like these stem, these little short stems coming off the stalk. And there's like a little tiny white bulb at the end of it. And that's, that's where the potato will start to grow. Um, if you're, if you're sort of anxious to get a, a have a, a potato meal and you like new potatoes like I do, you can actually snake your hand in, wiggle it down in there and grab a potato off the vine, just snap it off and pull it out. And if you pull one or two off a, off a few plants, you get a nice meal and there's this wonderful new potatoes. But uh, what I like to do is I like to grow uh, uh, several different varieties. But one of the varieties I grow is a uh, is a um, uh, a go- um, rose gold, and the rose gold is specifically for small red potatoes, and that's what they they grow at maturity. They're an extra early variety, so uh, by by some time in in uh, August, you know, you'll be able to dig those up and you'll have those rose gold, small, extra early potatoes. And they're a great food source for those of you who want to feed your family right from the garden. Um, it, it, it is just wonderful new potatoes and they're little red ones. And uh, last year when my, my grandson was up, my two grandsons were up, um, and they were August and Silas, and they they dug potatoes with me, and they were so excited. And I have to admit that that's probably just about the way I feel. But to see them demonstrate, like this is the best day of my life, you know, it's like <laughs> it's like little treasure in the ground. These beautiful red small potatoes are coming up, and then we take them in and have a nice meal with them, and. Uh, so I grow those for my new potatoes. And, uh, and then what else do we grow? We grow a, a Kennebec or one variety of Kennebec. I'm using the one variety called Elbow, which is a, a Kennebec-like. And I grow the Russet. Now those are keepers. And, and I gotta tell you, I still have the Kennebec uh in in my basement um uh, right now they haven't started to sprout and they've been um uh a great keeper uh, just absolutely terrific and all i did was use a you know one of those boxes you get uh, printing paper in just a regular old cardboard box and we laid them out and then put uh, newspapers in between layers and so and then they had the cover and then uh, i put a, a weight on the top so um, just to just to keep them in place and keep the any little critters out of there. And then the one thing that you want to do, of course, it, 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 if there is any mice in your house at all, is you want to put traps around them and make sure that the mice don't get in there. And that uh, so the Kennebec or the Russet, good keepers. Uh, they'll keep uh, right up to June. I was, you know, they're going to keep right through uh, this whole month, and and that's. That's really spectacular. I think it's it's just a a, a great food source is those long keeper t- uh, varieties like the Kennebec and the Russets, and then we grow um, we grow the uh, the red you know the Norland Reds and those are so delicious they make great mashed potatoes and and I boil them and make home fries out of them. 
Um, then we grow the, the Yukon Gold or, or one of the varieties of the Yukon Gold. I'm growing a Yukon Gem this year. I'm trying that one from, from the organic uh, um, potato farm over in Maine. And uh, uh, those golden ones are great. And, and my, my son's girlfriend uh, chops those up and she stir fries them right in a pan. And they're just like eating French fries. They're so delicious. We like those goldens quite a, quite a bit. And then uh, I grow um, one called an Adirondack, and that has the uh, sort of a striated red and white meat to it. And uh, they're really pretty in a stir-fry. They cook up really well. And then what other varieties? Well, I, I haven't grown them this year, but I do like the... Um, uh, you know, the um, banana type, you know, the those ones. Uh, the uh, uh, Those those are, when you mash them up, they're the smoothest. They make the smoothest, creamiest uh, uh, potato league soup you could ever ask for. And I think that's all I've done. I, I haven't been wild about the purple ones. I've tried to grow them, and I've had them, and they sure are pretty. But I find the the meat is a little mushy for me, so I'm I'm not as wild about growing those as the other ones. But just for the sake of um, having a little color in the in the in the bin, they you know you might want to try those too. Um, let's see. Okay, that's pretty much potatoes. Let me see. Did I cover it all? Yeah. Anybody have any questions on potatoes? Give me a call. So we started to talk about uh, planting now, and I gave you a list of the seeds that you can plant now. The the sets that you can plant now is, as I mentioned, all of your um, all of your uh, uh, brassicas. Those all can go in now. Um, and the beauty of uh, things like um, the broccoli, growing broccoli, is uh, a broccoli is is sort of a, a natural-born succession planting all, all by itself because once you cut the, the main head of the broccoli, um, y- you get the side shoots from then right on through to November. And so that that one planting is, is really a, um, serves like a succession planting. Now, I was talking to one of the nurses uh, uh, at the Berry Health Center. What was it? Uh, Thursday, I guess. And uh, she said she wanted to start a garden this year. And so I I told her, okay, well, you listen this Saturday, and I'll go over the garden basics. So I'm going to run through, although some of you have, have heard about the garden basics. We have enough time. Uh, I'll run through what I call the garden basics, and this is just my idea. And um, the the focus for me is to try to grow a steady supply um, of greens uh, that we can eat from the garden as much as possible. And two is to have um, uh, crops to harvest for storage. Those are my two main goals. And uh, for gardeners, we get to do things just a little bit differently than farmers. Uh, the, the, the farmer uh, plants differently, and we get to do things um, that really work well for this idea of having a constant uh, supply, steady supply. And that's why um, uh, I, I talk about, that's why I think that the, the garden basics are, are 
um, the uh, permanent bed, and I use a four foot by four foot bed, but whatever size that you want works well for you. I just find that works well because you can walk around it easily and it, uh, um, I put a trellis on almost every single one of my four by four beds. So I start with a, a permanent bed. Uh, permanent in terms of it's a, I use a, a, a two by six spruce wood. I don't use any special wood or anything like that. Six inches is kind of a minimum. Um, if you feel so inclined, you know, make it eight or 10 or 12 inches, whatever you like. Um, some people go so far as to go up to like 30 inches so they don't have to bend over. Um, that gets to be an expensive box to fill. Uh, but if that's what you want, go for it, you know. Um, but the minimum would be a six inch, uh, uh, two by six, uh, going all the way two by six, and that goes right on the ground, and it's above ground. And then the permanent bed, and the second thing is a permanent path, and this is something that I see a lot of people don't do with their permanent beds. Um, and what I like to do is I put actually a ground cloth, a landscape cloth, down in between my beds. And I like a two-foot row, and then I have a three-foot uh, row sort of in the middle just for uh, when I want to bring a wheelbarrow in or um, that kind of thing. I need a little extra room. And this this uh, three-foot uh, row actually lines right up with the steps that go up to my upper garden. So a nice uh, size permanent pathway helps. And I put this all the way, even two feet, around the outside of the, the beds. Um, and that keeps the grass out of your um, out of your beds. And a lot of bugs come in off of the grass. They live on the grass and then they, you know, they just uh, migrate right into your, um, right into your growing beds. So this also kind of protects all your plants from the things that come in all, that are living in the grass. Also, that actually helps to the creep that you get from the grasses that are around and whatever weeds that creep in, you know, uh, uh, in under your beds that helps to to um, to slow that down a lot. So you got a permanent bed, permanent pathway, and then what I call perfect soil. And the perfect soil is a perfect growing medium, and that's a one third mix of of peat moss, of vermiculite, and compost. And that one third, one third, one third mix makes for a a growing medium that's basically very similar to what they use in in a nursery to grow sets, in a nursery to grow their all their plants and their flowers and all the rest. What you're doing is you're starting out with a soil mix, six inches of that soil mix that. Uh, will give you the best germination possible for your seeds. It'll, you know, avoid any kind of transplant shock uh, for your sets, and it's a perfect growing medium. Um, the vermiculite holds water, um, and the the uh, compost inoculates your the soil, the bed with um, all the the good mycelium and and all the little little things critters that uh, keep the the soil alive, and then from there, with that perfect soil in there, that perfect growing medium, um, I add a, a, a cup of fertilizer, a cup of lime, a cup of sea kelp, and uh, and a cup of rock powder like azomite. You can get all those things right at, uh, at Blue Seal or Agway or 
you know, any any of those, uh, the nurseries that we... And then, um, okay, so you've got your perfect growing medium that's now a perfect soil because it's fertile and all the rest. And then the the next thing is grid planting. And grid planting is is uh, um, is basically instead of because you're growing in a in a bed, you don't need a wide row between your rows. So when I grow, uh, say like carrots, um, you'll see on the package it'll say thin to every three inches. You know they say you know plant every one every half inch or. They'll say plant uh, 20 seeds per foot or, you know, some sort of thing. But on the package, it'll say thin to every three inches or two inches or whatever. But if you're – most of your carrots, is, good-sized carrots, are thin to every three inches. So in the grid planting, what you're doing is instead of planting overplanting, you're just going to plant a couple seeds every three inches. So that would be 16 in a square foot. And this – this eliminates the need for a row in between. You can grow probably, you know, four times the number of carrots. I, when I plant one of my four by four beds, I plant 256 carrot, carrot seeds in that bed. And, you know, that is equal to about a 16, 20 foot row, um, in, in a regular garden with, with no space for paths or anything like that. So, that's very effective, and by using grid planting, you you're only fertilizing where your plants are, and when you when you fertilize in, in your pathway as well as your as well as your garden row, you're actually encouraging weeds. In this way, uh, only the plants that are growing in that bed are are getting the the fertilizer, and then and then also when you water, they're getting the water. You're not watering weeds and stuff. So that's uh, the permanent beds, permanent pathways, perfect soil, grid planting. And then the trellis, and I've mentioned this before, um, I grow a lot, as many things as I possibly can up because uh, just because it uh, saves a tremendous amount of space in the garden. Um, do we have a call? Conrad in Callis. Hey. Well, uh, welcome to In the Garden. Are you there? How are you? Oh, I'm good. I'm good. How about yourself? Good. What's well, going on? I'm an old dairy farmer. Yeah. And I used to be on a farm in East Montpelier. Yeah. And I worked for Agway back in the early 70s. Yep. And we used to co- sell a product that I'm trying to find and I can't. Yeah. It was called Stanley's Crotar. <laughs> oh, goodness. <laughs> And what I'm trying to do is I planted about 10 pounds of corn last year, sweet corn. That, that's all I do now is plant corn. Uh-huh. And the birds got half of it. Oh, dear. Last year. And I wonder if there is a solution to this. Um, the birds pulling the stuff other than laying a bunch of fence over it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But what replaced crotire, if anything, and do you know about it? Well, I'm I'm not familiar with the Stanley's Crotar. It's, it, it, and how did you use that when you did use it? What was it? We put the corn in a six-gallon bucket, and you poured in, I don't know, it didn't take much, four or five tablespoons. Yeah. And then you mixed the seed corn. Uh-huh. And then you planted it. And we used to, to do it in the planter that we planted field corn in. Okay. Only because we didn't want the birds pulling the sweet corn. Yeah. So... It was a tarry. It looked like roofing tar, only it was liquid. Wow. And the birds would not pull 
the the corn out of the ground with this crotar. And, and you s- you're saying that uh, just the coating on the seed itself was enough to That's correct. So that when yeah. it was up, uh, okay. Well, um, it would come out of the ground, and of course, and that's when the the bird grab it because they'd have something to pull by. Yeah. But they weren't after the green sprouts; they were after the seed. And in a week, a flock of birds could destroy it. Oh, oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The the crows. Well, well, they put the uh, they put the uh, kai the government put the kibosh on the product because it yeah. contained a, a creosote oil, which uh, right. w- and uh, and a and a a coal substance and in big amounts the the uh, creosote uh, is a carcinogen, but they right. say that this was you know a very mild mixture, but. Right. Mildly carcinogenic uh, wasn't good enough for the government to mm-hmm. let by. So. Well, even the inoculant that came on seeds, um, I'm, I'm talking strictly agway because that's the only thing I'm familiar with, had a pink dust on it. And and that was to keep the seeds from rotting. It actually helped for the mold and mildew and whatever else was going on on the corn. <laughs> and everybody thought that was a bird inoculant, but it wasn't. It uh, kept the seed from rotting and the worms from getting in it or whatever. Yeah, right. But you, when you buy corn now, seed corn, there's nothing on it. Um, oh, yeah. Uh, is this for sweet corn or for field corn? Well, this is for sweet corn. Oh, it is. Okay. Um, like I said, well, you can you can buy a five-gallon bucket of Bird Be Gone. <laughs> I'm just looking at it. It's called Bird Be Gone, and uh, it's only seven hundred and seventy-three dollars here online. Yeah, <laughs> but um, well, I got online and I found a lot of those products for yeah. five, six, seven hundred dollars. <laughs> yeah, right, right. <laughs> uh, maybe not. Farmers don't farmers don't use crotar anymore. Yeah, it was only for sweet corn to keep the birds out of it. Jeez, uh, um, I was just reading something about the way uh, what some people do, but this only works for a garden. Is is they would pre-sprout their their corn and plant yep. pre-sprouted corn, and that does keep the the crows from from pulling it up because it's when it's, it's pre-sprouted. Yeah, it's pre-sprouted, and pre-sprouted. Uh, it, it was. Um, what was the technique they used? It was almost like in a trough. It may have been in like a rain gutter, and they just planted a whole big rain gutter full of, uh, actually quite a few of them, uh, and they pre-sprouted them that way. But, really? you know, that's that's a fair amount of handwork, but it's not any different than, than planting sets of broccoli or cabbage, you know. That's um, right. And it... Uh, depending on how much and what kind of a planter you have, what kind of planter are you using? Just a. I actually have a precision oh, walk yeah. behind yeah. cedar. Okay. Yeah. That I've had for years. Yeah. And uh, how much? Uh, what do you? An acre or a couple acres or ten acres? Oh, I probably plant oh, an acre. Half an acre. acre to an acre. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that that seems a lot of work for corn to to pre sprout that much. But um, yeah, I know. 
Um, the I'm not sure the pre-spout would go through the planter. I think the yeah, sprouts might get hung up. They might the get hung up in them, yeah. But uh, yeah. if you look at the, the planter for the broccoli sets or something like that, it may handle that a little bit better, the pre-sprout. I think it would, probably. Yeah, yeah. and um, uh, so once it reaches a certain point, it's not as sweet and tasty to the crows, and th- that's, that's right. the, the idea behind the, the pre-sprouting. Um, the the other thing, of course, is to is to go ahead and do the uh, the row covers and... If you planted in a 30-inch, you know, a 30-inch bed instead of just single rows, you know, you could do, let's see, every, uh, let's see, are you planting every 8 inches or every 12 inches? Uh, No, I'm planting uh, probably 18 inches apart. 18 inches apart. So you could get two rows in a a 30-inch. You might actually be able to get away with, uh, with three rows. And uh, uh, then when they, they came up, you know, you'd have your row cover on it. Um, I think the way that... Um, uh, what is the row cover? A tent? Uh, it's a piece of uh, spun cloth. It's, a, it's made of fiberglass, actually. It's a spun cloth, and you put a hoop over, you know, that goes from one side of your 30-inch bed, the row, a 30-inch row, maybe 100 feet long. and. Gotcha. And then uh, you just, you know, you just go down and you weight it down on either side. So until it's up, you know, then you can take that row cover off and you can leave the hoops there if you want them. Um, But it's a different kind of culture because I I don't know how you're weeding that, you know, if if you use a weeder or, or, you know, a a rake to... I have a Troy-built tiller that I usually go up mm-hmm. one side and down the other. Yeah, one side down the other, yeah. So I, I uh, spray the garden with Roundup first, so yeah, no yeah. grass. No, no grass, grass, yeah. yeah. No. So, you, yeah, you'd have to do the uh, similar in the bed, but um, that would be that would be another way to uh, to make um, to make that work for you. It's just yeah. a different kind of culture, you know. And a lot right. of a lot of farmers are going to the row covers for for even things like broccoli because with the um, the midge and all these other problems. Plus, they don't have to spray. If you're an organic right. farmer, you know sometimes uh, having to spray is a problem. So if you can keep the bugs off of them to start with, uh, you know right. the row, row cover is a big help. And I I know that Ed said uh, towards the end of it he was thinking about you know putting a row cover on everything you know so that you could. Well, you know I never thought of those, but I could do those. Yeah. Easy. Yep. And, uh, it, it, and like that, you said, once the corn gets up, the crows don't bother. It. They don't bother it, yeah. And uh, I, just once it comes through, the sprout comes through the ground, so they know <laughs> where it is. They start pulling it. Somebody rings that dinner bell, and boy, they're on it like crazy. Oh God, yeah. Yeah, you have to. Yeah. You have to give them credit for having good taste. <laughs> they do. They do. Matter of fact, it's interesting. I, you know, of course, I. I Wrote a book on growing uh, greens in the winter, you know, the year-round indoor mm-hmm. salad gardening. And one of the, the sprouts that people uh, use is corn. And they use, you know, they, they blanch them so their yellow sprouts come in up. And they're very sweet and very tasty. It, I've just never acquired a taste for them. And even though I can do it and have done it at times, uh, I don't usually on a regular basis. But 
yeah. pre-sprouting is pretty easy to do, and uh, the idea of using a trough like that would would work well. But geez, oh man, it would, that would be a lot of boy. Take me forever to do that. Yeah, exactly. It's <laughs> by the time I got done, it would be frost. Yeah. <laughs> well, you wouldn't have problems with that crows. <laughs> no, that's right. Well, I appreciate your time, and you gave me a good thought. Okay. I never thought of those, but yeah, yeah. I could do that. They had, you know, there are, there are chemical stuff, you know, uh, the avian, uh, there's, yeah, the bird be gone stuff is, is available also in, in a powder and not just a, you know, so you could try something like that. I don't, I don't think the, uh, things like the, the, um, you know, the scarecrow things like the owls and stuff really work that well. I don't think it's going to help down mm, here. No, no, nope. So, uh, right. yeah, give it a try. And, and, uh, would you give me a call? See if that worked okay for you? I'd like to, f- I to will. find out. Because, yep, because, uh, the, uh, one, one of the things I was thinking right away, you were talking about the raccoons in your, in your, uh, you know, mature corn. So, um, uh, oh God, yeah, we got yeah, those too. Yeah, yeah. Well, some people put out, uh, like kerosene lanterns and, and the kerosene smell seems to drive them away. But anyway, uh, Conrad, uh, give me a call again. I'd really like to hear how this goes for you. Okay, great. Thanks. Oh, all right, take care. Well, uh, should we start with Nola? All right, Nola, how have you been? It's good to hear from you. I, I have no deep and sort of engrossing news or questions, but <laughs> I will say, as I've said before, I love growing plants, <laughs> and when I here you, shoveled here you. my way out to my greenhouse on March 2nd, mm-hmm. Dr. Seuss's birthday, mm-hmm. to begin planting mm-hmm. um, with six-foot-high snowbanks surrounding the building, mm-hmm. I put those seeds in, and once again, I questioned my sanity. Yep. Why am I doing this? This is ridiculous. <laughs> A week later, with no heat from anything but the sun, those first seeds were pushing up through the soil. Isn't that great? And it is great. It's so great. And the occasional visitors that we get because of this ridiculous COVID thing mm-hmm. walk into the greenhouse, and there is a sparkle in their eyes yep. and this feeling of hope. And and I just don't know how to say thank you to those plants enough mm-hmm. for providing that feeling of hope. Mm-hmm. It's been amazing. And so my one story, I know I called you last year, grasshoppers, help, 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 help. (laughs) Yes, I'm waiting. (laughs) And so I called the company this year, and the same response, we're sorry, we don't ship to Vermont. Uh Yeah, but they're in Arizona. Yeah. And of all the things about Arizona that I know, and it's quite limited, I know that my sixth grade teacher, okay, we're going back to 1969, lives there now. She moved out there many years ago with her husband. She's 92 years old, and she's a teacher in the state prison out there. And she loves it. Mm. I called her, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and I reminded her of who I was, and I asked her for her help. Mm. Yesterday, I walked around the yard to the front of the house, and there was a box from her from Arizona Mm. with grasshopper control in it. The world's an amazing place. 
It's a small world. I haven't broken the law. She just, you know, she got it, and then she shipped it to me because she has a license to ship to me. And that's what I love about gardens. They bring us together. I have a new person buying from me with a little cafe in Virgins. Mm -hmm. I didn't know her at all. She called me last week. Turns out she's part Middle Eastern, just like me. Just all these little wonderful gifts that gardens give us above and beyond the delicious food. Yep. It's good stuff. Um, and so can we do a quick a quick give of putting in the seed by Robert Frost? I would hope so. I mean I would, I would be so. I would be disappointed if not. I think right. I think Joel will uh, allow us a little extra time. Yes, go ahead. All right. So here we go. This is uh, the poet talking to you. You come to fetch me from my work tonight when supper's on the table, and we'll see if I can leave off from burying the soft white petals fallen from the apple tree. Soft petals, yes, but not so barren quite, mingled with these smooth bean and wrinkled pea, and go along with you ere you lose sight of what you came for and become like me, slave to the springtime passion for the earth, how love burns through the putting in the seed, and on through the watching for the early birth, when just as the soil tarnishes with weed, a sturdy seedling with arched body comes, shouldering its way and shedding the earth crumbs. <laughs> Go seeds. Let's grow good things. What was the name of that, that poem? Called Putting in the Seed. Putting in the Seed. Mm-hmm. I, I, I love that uh, the analogy of the... The seed with the arch shoulders, you know, you see them come up and they're sort of just just pushing up and, uh, yeah, yeah, it's, beautiful image. It's a beautiful image. It is. So to everybody out there, let's grow good gardens and take care of each other. Yeah. And um, we'll see what happens this year, you know. Thank you so That'd much. Much appreciated, so yes. That's be great. well. Yeah, okay. yeah. Yep. yep. Thank take you. care. Bye-bye. Mama. Yep. So, um, did you, uh, oh, you do, Ray in Plainfield. We got one more. So, hey, Ray, yeah, we're a sneaker in her, huh? Yep. <laughs> uh, I'm going to go back to the Crotar. Oh, okay, great. Can I do? Yes. Uh, we we had a farm in Greensboro. In fact, we still do have to have two farms. Uh-huh. We have the Highland cattle. And we used to plant corn back, well, in the 60s and 70s. Yeah. And we used Crotar on the field corn. Yeah. And it was about 50 acres. And I remember my dad mixing it with his hands. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how. And it came in a red can. Mm-hmm. And uh, there was a picture of a crow on it flying. Yeah. But we used to do that. But we had. And. But that's what we used to use. And I don't know what was in it. But uh, I'm sure mm-hmm. it was nothing really good. But I also remember the powder that went on the corn seeds. Yeah. yeah. But I thought, so, anyways, I just want to share that with you that uh, it was done on field corn, too. Oh, at yeah. At least we did it. Yeah. Yeah, and, and so what was the consistency of the, it was black, obviously, like tar? Uh, black and sticky, uh-huh. and it shone, with wicked, a wicked shine to it. Uh-huh. And so it did me, you it was almost like... You put it on the seed and let it dry out so it didn't get sticky no, in your plant? No, my dad would mix it and yeah. put it right into the corn planter because it had a two-row planter, uh-huh. which probably is non-existent anymore. <laughs> probably. And 
and had two little hoppers for the the corn, mm-hmm. one yep. on each for each row. Yep. And they had a then I had a hopper for phosphate. Mm-hmm. Two hoppers for phosphate. You put the phosphate in one. You put the yep. corn seed in the other. Yeah. And it went down the row, and the wheels on the cedar yep. were uh, so, had a like so a V shape, so it covered so, the corn. You had a thing in the front. They would open the corn seed up. Yeah. yeah. So open the ground up for the corn seed. Yeah. So, anyways, <laughs> I, it's pretty interesting to hear this stuff. Uh, it goes back to so many memories. Yeah. Uh, and but also, I want to share something else. Yeah. The army worms. Yep. That decimated a lot of crops back in the late '60s or so. Mm-hmm. And we had we actually the state actually well we had there was an airplane that sprayed a lot of the fields cornfields mm-hmm. mm-hmm. the crop duster okay. and they sprayed for the army worms okay. and when they sprayed this there was a guy named Bill Hill he's still alive he's in harder care would drive around with a international scout with a emblem something on the top of it a marker so that uh, the guy with the airplane would know where, what fields to go to no kidding wow so anyway, that was pretty interesting. Bill Hill is still alive. He used to own the Beacon Feed store in Hardwick. Okay. In fact, I see him sure. at, coming out of the... And that might be something... Is this live on the radio? Yep. It is. Uh-oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Bill, uh, Bill Hill might be something you'd be interested in talking to. Sure. About what happened then. Yeah. And how this was all set up, because everybody in the state, just about... Yeah. And I can see the airplane... Mm-hmm. Today in North Greensboro, flying over the fields, it, I mean a crop duster, oh, no spraying for army worms, huh. and I don't know if anybody's ever heard of that or see, remember, remembers it. But anyways, uh, I just want I'm on my way between farms right now. Uh, oh, yeah. We have the so, Highland cattle. So how do you? Oh, you do. Oh, oh. okay. Yeah, my yeah, son, we have, son works up there with uh, Jasper Hill. It's uh, real. Oh, does he? Okay. Yeah, yeah, it's, honest to God, <laughs> well, the farm country up there. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, well, yeah, and it, they've done a hell of a job. So, if you're planting corn today, how do you? What would you do to try to keep the I, crows? I, I'm going to tell you. Our cattle are all grass-fed. We don't plant any corn. I haven't mm. planted corn for. Mm. Help my dad. My dad was 98 and a half years old when he passed away, mm-hmm. and that was in 2009. Mm-hmm. And but uh, we do just grass fed grass for our beef cattle. Yeah. And so I don't do anything with corn anymore. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, but anyways, it was uh, quite a experience. I guess it was quite an experience growing up and seeing yeah. an airplane, the crow tar. I mean, yeah. I have a medicine cabinet at my barn in Greensboro Bend, an old barn right on Route 16. Sure. That has a bottle of creolin in it. Okay. Uh, I'll, I'll bite. And you can still, if you, when you open the medicine cabinet door, it's a wooden cabinet, yeah. you can still smell the creolin. And I don't think you could ever buy that. I don't think it can ever be bought again or yeah. anywhere. Probably. And I haven't ever read the ingredients in it, yeah. but it can't be good. No, it can't be good, yeah. Yeah, well, that that's a big change was, is going to uh, all grass-fed. I mean, that's uh, certainly saves you a uh, we lot. Have, well, we my dad started this herd in 1967. In fact, my wife is on Facebook right now, uh-huh. posting some stuff. 
We have the oldest registered herd of Highland cattle in the United States. Really? We Our first animal came from the first registered animal in the United States. Mm-hmm. In, we, bought her, we got her years ago, but she was born in 1956. No My wife's posting that on Facebook today about wow. what we did, or what my dad did. And anyways, anyways it's good to hear this. So, so your I'm, Facebook uh, is, is just under, like, Highland Cattle, or... Uh, go for Greenfield Highland B for Janet Stewart, S-T-W-A-R-D. And by the way, she was the 2002 Teacher of the Year in Vermont, so I don't have to worry about being taught anything. <laughs> she was a first, she was a she, she was a first grade teacher. Oh, really? Uh, so, so, so I'm going to stay in the first grade because it's safer. <laughs> anyway, no, she uh, but I, she posts I, a lot of stuff. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> she, she posts. A, uh, yeah, she posts a lot of stuff, but check out Janet Stewart's Facebook page. Mm-hmm. You will see some unbelievable stuff. Okay, great. Uh, look and people want to comment on it. If they got questions, they can do mm-hmm. it because she's very good at it. Okay, great. And all mm-hmm. I do is ever troll because <laughs> I don't think the principal ever signed my diploma. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, all it's right, interesting, you know. You. I got to go to work. Okay, all right. Well, you know how uh, people always say, you know, when somebody introduces themselves and says, well, I was in the Army for so many years, and and uh, I, uh, they'll say, thank you for your service. And uh, I find myself saying that to farmers and teachers because, you know, uh, sometimes it's a thankless job, and it's an incredible service to all of us. You know, no, what, no farmers, well, no food. Well, Janet, it, we're totally opposites. Mm-hmm. She's a perfectionist, and I'm a klutz. It takes, you know, it it, it takes two. It, we, it takes we've two. had, I mean, we've showed <laughs> cattle all over the United States. In fact, we got some animals leaving next week. One's headed to, oh, Missouri, uh, Mississippi, and one's headed to Texas. Really? Wow! Island this Bowl. is the Highland. Wow! And and those are uh, and we've shipped them. Those are for meat, right? The Highland. They're beef cattle. Beef They're the cattle. oldest. Yeah. Breed of cattle in the world. Yeah. Wow. And they're are those very, the ones with the great big long uh, horns? Great big long horns, and we go to we're showing cat. We went 16 years to the National Western in Denver, mm-hmm. and there's all kinds of breeds of cattle out there. And my wife, who little tiny thing, mm-hmm. she would head down lead this one cow called Cinnamon Raisin, who's actually was the top. She's the, the most winning Highland cattle and United animal in the United States at these point wow. shows. Wow! And the people would separate. It was like the <laughs> opening. People were so scared of this cow, and my wife is basically just put the rope over her neck or halter over her neck and just walk mm-hmm. along. Mm-hmm. And old Raisin would follow her along, but she won Denver three times. No kidding. Nobody's ever done that with a cow with a calf. Well, that's great. <laughs> and also, we're at the we. For more than 50 years, we've had a cow-calf in the Champlain Valley Fair mm-hmm. in McDonald's Barn. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, anyways, you've heard enough from me. i got to go to well, work. Ray, Thank you for yeah. listening. Well, thanks for the call. I do appreciate it, and it's, it's always good to hear stories. <laughs> All right. Thanks but for your two keep cents. Keep up with the crow tar. Yeah, okay, we will do. Right. <laughs> I'm still looking. Okay, we had to have that phone call on. Oh, my goodness. Thank you, Ray. <laughs> Isn't that great? great? <laughs> what, just a couple of observations. First of all, the uh, crow tar, you know, obviously mm-hmm. there has historic value. I've I found it. Uh, I have a, 
I found it incredible that uh, uh, when looking on eBay, a friend of mine wanted the same brand of, uh, mm-hmm. of motor oil that mm-hmm. we used to be sold at a gas station that we both frequented when we were in high school. And anyway, 50-year-old cans of motor oil sell for hundreds of dollars. <laughs> and, and what's happening is that the same thing with this uh, Stanley's Crow repellent, which yeah. is the actual brand name, yeah. Stanley's Crow repellent, and anybody that used it called it Stanley's Crow tar, yeah. uh, because that's what it was. It was a tarry substance, and it was simply a mixture of ground-up coal and creosote oil. Oh, boy. Okay? Now, the creosote <laughs> is is listed as a carcinogen. Yep. However, in the quantity that it's used in this product, it was, you know, they would say it was mildly dangerous. But the trouble mm-hmm. is, uh, or maybe, maybe the good fortune is, that the government these days, if anything, mm-hmm. is slightly carcinogenic. Yeah. You know, uh, they do that with, with sweeteners for foods. Yeah. They'll give, you know, they'll, they'll get, they'll inject enough in, into a rat that mm-hmm. would be the equivalent of you eating 400 pounds of, yeah. of artificial sweetener. And, the, yeah. but you're not going to do that, obviously, but in the rat, it, could cause cancer. At any rate, the bottom line <laughs> is is that the uh, Stanley's um, crow repellent uh, is no longer available, or not, or that mixture of um, of coal and creosote oil, which because of the fact of bituminous coal, you grind that up. You know, you've seen a shiny piece of coal. You know, yeah. yep. it, it, it it produces that that shine in the in the substance. Mm-hmm. But there's a collector's market for the can. So Ray, anybody, <laughs> if you find an empty can of that, <laughs> there you, you go. know, put it up on eBay. You might get fifty, fifty, sixty bucks for an empty can of. That's uh, right. And one final thing. Rich in Starksboro gave a call off the air. Oh, okay. And he saw the same thing that I saw when I went online. They have um, a a very safe for humans and uh, fully saleable at any of the uh, of our advertisers for the most part. Uh, Avapel bird repellent. It's a spray thing. Now, I know that Avapel is used to spray on grapes it, you know once once you've actually got your fruit set you can spray it on grapes or anything that you don't want the birds to eat mm-hmm. it's not clear whether you can spray it on seed and and have it work that way but it says in order for avapel to work the bird has to inhale it in other words the bird would have to go to the grapes mm-hmm. and make an attempt to uh, to eat a grape and somehow ingest uh, what's floating in the air near it, and then the bird will go away. Whether if you put it on corn and then plant it, and then out in the rain might wash it away. So I, I, I would I would look this up and read it, but that is the closest that uh, seems to be uh, sold these days that, mm-hmm. uh, you know, may in a way do what... Uh, what the old Colt uh, Crotar <laughs> used to do. So, you know. Well, it's interesting because um, one of my garden buddies is out in uh, Wilkes-Barre area, and, and that's uh, old coal country. And he swears by the coal dust really, you know, really boosting the, the tomato productivity because, <laughs> because of the, the minerals or whatever is in the coal dust, you know. <laughs> well, we don't want to get black lung disease planted corn. I no. <laughs> <laughs> but but. I assume that it's the, um, you know, that there's a volatile, the, the volatiles, the smell right, yeah. of the, 
you know. That's it. I'm sure if you spray it on your seeds, they won't take it that day, but maybe a week later if it washes off. That's, mm-hmm. a, that's yeah. the thing. Of course, I remember as a kid in the farm adjacent to my grandfather's, uh, old, old farmer Hornbecker, that was his name, uh, Mr. Hornbecker, he would uh, he would come out of his barn with his shotgun, yeah. and all the crows would immediately leave. They didn't have to shoot anything. They figured it out. They're smart. They said, oh, here he comes with his gun. Yeah. We're taking a break, you know. As soon as he went back into the barn, they all come all from come out of the trees, there. and there they are in the yeah. field. So. Well, there are, and I, I've looked at some of these. They're the cannons, you know. Uh, they set them up so that they're they're like a carbide cannon, mm-hmm. and then they make a big loud bang. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't propel anything, but they just make a big loud bang. Well, I'll never forget when my wife uh, said, "Come on, come on, there! Look out! Look in the backyard!" I had bought this big owl, this mm-hmm. big. Uh, you know, uh, <laughs> I guess he's plastic, but a yep. very realistic-looking yep. owl. So-called scare. repellent, yeah, right? Yeah, the crow was sitting on its head. <laughs> Boy, it sure scared him, yeah, didn't it? Really did. Anyway, I, th- I think we're at the I think we're at the end of this one. But uh, final words, though. Final. <laughs> well, folks, if you have any questions for us uh, about potatoes or crows or anything else, give us a call. We absolutely enjoy hearing from you, and uh, I want to thank everybody who called in today what what fun what fun and um okay so we'll see you next week inch by inch row by row gonna make this garden grow all it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground inch by inch Row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from below till the rain comes tumbling down. In the Garden today has been brought to you by Menard's family-owned True Value Store, Brooklyn Street in Morrisville. By V's Flower and Garden Shop, Main Street, Waitsfield. By Clausen's Florist Greenhouse and Perennial Farm, Main Street, Colchester. By your locally owned Montpelier Agway Farm and Garden on East Montpelier Road. By Sticks and Stuff and Swanton Lumber in Middlesex, St. Albans, Enosburg, Swanton and Derby. Sticksandstuff.com. By Guy's Farm and Yard Stores in Morrisville, Montpelier, Williston and St. Albans. By PNR Lumber, a family owned lumber mill with all the lumber, mulch and compost you need. Route 15 in Wolcott. By the Willie Store in Greensboro, celebrating 120 years of family ownership. By Dandelion Acres Garden Center, Vermont Route 107 in Bethel. By Kate Farm on Coburn Road in East Montpelier. By Poly Construction, a contractor you can trust and one call does it all. Poly Construction, Gregory Drive, South Burlington. Do join us again next Saturday at 12.30 for In the Garden with Peter Burke. Gonna make this garden grow. All it takes is a rake and a hoe and a piece of fertile ground. Inch by inch, row by row, someone bless these seeds I sow. Someone warm them from.